Welcome to the HexDevs podcast. This episode is sponsored by VanHack. VanHack helps tech talent get a job abroad. VanHack also helps companies hire amazing tech talent from all over the world. Keith Bingman, welcome. Hi. We are super excited to have you here. So thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So Keith is a great mentor and a React expert. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm a principal engineer at Unbounce right now. And I work with the portal and the content teams, helping them work on their front ends. Um, I started JavaScript 15 years ago, long before jQuery or React. Originally, I was a photographer and worked at a photo studio in Germany. I'm from the States, but I lived in Germany for 15 years. And the photo studio, we did a lot of computer work because we started doing digital photography mm -hmm. and we needed a website. I built our website. Then one day we had a, um, a contract for 250,000 photographs for the German post office. And someone had to figure out how to make all the thumbnails and the various sizes for each of these photographs. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to use Unix and Image Magic. And uh, I wrote a script to change all the, the photographs from big ones to small ones. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of my programming career. Mm -hmm. So a few years later, I quit and I started writing Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. And then I learned jQuery and prototype and became a developer. But then to do that, you're kind of studying by yourself on the side. I'm self-taught, right? yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, there were no boot camps when I started. Mm -hmm. I did one week of Ruby on Rails training with one of the Rails uh, core team mm -hmm. in Georgia in 2005. And the week that we started our course was the same week that Rails hit 1.0. So I actually started doing Ruby on Rails before 1.0. It's your OG. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> That's really cool. And how did you how did you feel about Ruby when you were starting? Like I never did anything but Ruby to begin with. Yeah. Um, I had a hard time learning Ruby. I'm still not a big fan of Ruby. When I learned JavaScript, it was like a revelation. It was much easier for me. I like JavaScript a lot better than Ruby. Um, Ruby's got it's a cool language. It's really nice. It's not for me, though. Uh, JavaScript is a language that makes me giggle. So I like to program in JavaScript instead. Even though it's JavaScript's not the best language, it's a little bit like learning English. Like It's really easy to learn. It's really hard to master. Um, it doesn't always make sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, So do you think that it was easier then to be a self-taught developer than it is today? Yes. I just went to a JavaScript conference in the United States, in San Diego, and that was one of the talks. There was a woman there who was a, a punk rock guitarist from the UK, and she moved to New York to start a financial startup. I'm not quite sure what happened in between there. She didn't <laughs> give us the details. <laughs> but uh, she listed everything she needed to learn, and what she needed to learn was very similar to what I needed to learn. She learned about the same time, 2005, 2006, and we needed to know about FTP servers, HTML, CSS. If you wrote a really complicated web website, it might have had five or six lines of JavaScript on it, 
And, uh, you know, you probably needed to learn PHP, Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails was pretty simple in, the, in comparison back then. And that was really about it. Mm-hmm. Um, now you need to learn mm-hmm. Rail, uh, React, Prototype, oh, not Prototype anymore. About, yeah, it's not even, I don't even know where to begin. There's so <laughs> many things you need to learn. The Git flow, yeah. GitHub, making PRs. Making PRs actually is a very recent invention. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to Vancouver, they were just brand new. So it's only been about six or seven years since mm-hmm. people have actually been using the Git flow and PRs in the, the entire process. So mm-hmm. it's gotten much more complicated. Yes. Yes. So in that case, because I do feel like that, and because I like mostly backend, including Ruby, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like it's it's not that it, it it's easier, but it's not that complicated as front end is today. That that's my perspective being a backend. I think it hasn't changed as much as front end has today. Mm-hmm. I I stopped doing Ruby on Rails with version 3. Mm-hmm. And so version 3 isn't hugely different than version 5 now. It's yeah. it, There are some differences, but it's largely the same thing. On the other hand, creating a front end website with jQuery is not at all comparable to creating a front end mm-hmm. website with React or like an API driven mm-hmm. modern website. Doesn't it doesn't have any resemblance to mm-hmm. to what we built with jQuery. And sometimes I miss jQuery. I love React. React is really fun. It's a very powerful paradigm and the the one-way flow makes everything much easier to deal with. But the simplicity of jQuery is sometimes lost and uh, server-side rendering has its place today and I think a lot of people forget that. I I understand what what you're saying about there's so much today to learn that you don't even know where to begin and I I feel like this might stop a lot of people to start because they are like, oh, there are so many things I don't even know where to start. Do you know any, I don't know, do you have any any advice for people today that are trying that path? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's changed a lot as well is that the resources for Mm -hmm. teaching yourself how to program have gotten vastly better. So I love Egghead.io for the, they have really good video tutorials. I'm not sure if they have Rails or not, mm. but Rails Rails was actually one of the first things. There was it used to be a, a video podcast, Railscast, mm. long long ago. Mm-hmm. That was and that was good. how I learned. That was very good. Yeah, and then they there was jQuery for designers was another one long ago, mm. and we were happy to have eight or nine <laughs> of these videos. And now there's such a rich environment for. Treehouse, I know, is another thing. And online, there's just so many different ways to teach yourself things. So that part has gotten way better. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just so much more to learn now. Um, yeah, where to begin is always very hard. At least for me, what helps is instead of going to, let's say, oh, I want to learn React and whatever else you need to learn <laughs> to learn React as well. Um, but the idea, um, what I think it, it helps me mostly is to have a little project to do and then, oh, then I'm going to use... Yeah, React that's actually a really that. important thing to mention. That's how I've learned everything that I've learned mm-hmm. because 
I've had to reteach myself how to to build websites mm -hmm. five or six times since I started. <laughs> so I always have a couple projects that I go to. They're sort of funny little projects. One of them is a starship generator. <laughs> I played a role-playing game when I was 12 years old called Traveler, and it had very complicated rules about how to build planets and starships. So I've built the planet gen or the starship generator. I've built in Ruby on Rails. I've built it in Sinatra, mm -hmm. the the smaller framework in Ruby. Mm -hmm. I've built it in plain JavaScript. I've built it in React. I've built it in TypeScript. I'm hoping to build it soon in Rust. Um, I just keep building it over and over again. And I never do finish it. There's always a few things I don't quite finish, <laughs> but it's always a really good way for exploring how to build these things. Um, and I always have a side project that I've taught myself how to, to use these things. So I think having a, a goal and a project, even if you don't finish it, is really important. Mm -hmm. Like just having a, a real problem to solve. Yeah, that's an interesting exercise, like rebuilding the same thing in a different language or a different framework so you can mm -hmm. learn a little bit about it. Because you kind of know what you need to build mm -hmm. already. You just need to like learn the language or learn the specifics. Yeah. Yeah, the best project I ever built professionally was similar to that. Mm -hmm. So we had a, a front-end application built in Backbone, which was one of the first single-page app frameworks mm -hmm. based around jQuery. And it wasn't a very well-written application. It wasn't very well-architected. It was a very small startup, and we had to move very quickly. And one day the money ran out, and we didn't have our startup anymore, but we managed to get ourselves sold. Mm -hmm. And so the new company wanted our product, but they wanted significant changes, mm -hmm. the basic idea. So the front-end application, we decided the easiest way to do the, those changes was to just rebuild it. Mm -hmm. But we knew all the business logic. We knew exactly how the application should work. So we rebuilt it in this crazy framework that very few people had used called React, and this even crazier um, framework called Redux that no one had really used. There were very few docs at the time. And it turned out to be the best project we ever made. It was great. Like I, that's how I learned Redux. Though I, my Redux skills were very poor at the time. It's not mm -hmm. the best Redux I've ever written, but uh, it was really fun to, to build it. And then we went much quicker than we would have mm -hmm. if we had just kept in the same language. Mm -hmm. So it was very good exercise to, to learn that. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. And how, how do you feel about uh, big rewrites? Because I've, I've seen some of them some of them kind of work, some of them don't. And in one in one hand, I really believe that if you have s if you really know the business business logics and if you really know the product that you're trying to rebuild, and you have the time to focus on that, it helps because then the next thing will be better, will be easier to maintain, better practices and stuff. But then sometimes you get you need to do a rewrite of something and add new features, and then it just becomes so risky. So how do you feel about big Yeah, rewrites? that's a really good point, actually. And uh, the new features, I think, is really... I'm actually in the middle of a, a big rewrite right now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's been a big fight. Our product manager doesn't believe in rewrites, thinks that you should never rewrite something. Mm -hmm. But there comes a time when the product is so complicated that adding new features is no longer maintainable. Our product is 10 years old, and mm -hmm. the smartest people in the company don't understand it. The smartest mm -hmm. people I've ever worked with, actually, don't understand it. So how do you work with that code? Like, mm -hmm. 
the people who wrote it are long gone. It's very, very old code. It's written for browsers that no longer exist. Internet Explorer 7, <laughs> early Firefox. Browsers have gotten much better, so I think for us that's a good time to rewrite. There's a certain point when the logic is so complex that no one can understand it. Mm -hmm. I know Firefox is going through a similar rewrite right now. That Their logic has become so complex that they don't understand it themselves. So, <laughs> And many companies have done it. There are, there are successful rewrites. So, and I've experienced one myself. Mm -hmm. So it is risky business, though. Yeah. And how do you go about doing a rewrite? What are the things you need to keep in mind? Our first rewrite was just a copy of the, the same business logic as before. So it went very quickly. We knew the business logic. There were only two or three people involved. And that was very easy. The, the complexities came in as we discovered that the, the business logic wasn't exactly the same as what we were, we were building. Um, it wasn't just because we had built it to the point where we were before, we had built it to the same point as the original product, and then the complexities came. It, it wasn't too hard to manage. The current rewrite is a different beast altogether. Mm -hmm. It has a different goal than our product. So we will see where it goes. We're still in the very early research stages. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how you manage all that. <laughs> <laughs> and do you plan to like use a new language, a new framework? Is it just rewriting what you have using the same tools? No, it's 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 a new framework. So we'll probably use React just because it seems that's like in our company everyone knows React, all the front end developers. And um, React actually has a 60% market share now. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but. <laughs> Lots of people understand React and can use React very well. So it's easy to hire people who understand React. And people who don't understand React can learn it very quickly. So I don't think we'll change from that. Um, the requirements are up in the air. Mm -hmm. It's not the same requirements as we had before. So right now we're just doing a lot of user research and investigation as to what those requirements are. At the same time as we're doing that, we're doing some very early engineering exploration to see how it will work. But we have a very important rule that it's a prototype and no one is allowed to use it after we're done. And are you planning to finish the prototype and throw it out and start over? That's the plan. That's a good idea. Yeah. I've already seen that it's a good idea. We've made some mistakes early on. But it's nice to be able to make those mistakes early on and not later, like fail early, fail often. Um, before these mistakes become much harder to fix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I see some companies that would benefit from that mindset because sometimes you're starting something, a project, you're a startup, you're just trying things out, and then your prototype becomes your product, and then it becomes unmanageable, a, a tangled mess, and then you can't throw it out anymore because yeah. the effort would be too great, you know? So. Yeah, this is a common problem everywhere. And we've had the same problem as well. So Then how do you think that we can build products today? Not obviously not anticipating the future, but trying to be more maintainable in the long term. I don't know if that question makes sense. So I think it makes sense. Um, 
because all of those projects, they, they, people made decisions that I'm guessing it made sense at the time. No, right? this is very important the distinction. So, mm -hmm. none of the, the, the current code base that we can no longer maintain, none of the pro decisions that they made, well, some were, were wrong, but most of them were not wrong. They were all made for a very good reason. They were all made to answer a question. That question is not always relevant these days. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things, um, we have a very complicated drag and drop system. Drag and drop is not supported by browsers. This was not supported by browsers at all. Mm -hmm. So, it's something that was, it's, it's a very different environment than it mm -hmm. was then. This is something to keep in mind that these decisions were not wrong. Mm -hmm. Some of the UX decisions that they made are very good, the patterns that we need. So our designers want to reinvent everything, mm -hmm. but we, sometimes it's good to remember that some of these patterns are exactly what people need, and they're very good patterns. It's, we keep them. The programming is the same. Some of these patterns are what we need. So it's important to look and as you rewrite and not reinvent everything. Mm -hmm. The other important thing I think now is to to think smaller. We try to make everything modular. Mm -hmm. One of the best things that React has brought to JavaScript development in my mind is the component system. All major uh, frameworks have implemented some sort of component system. Mm -hmm. Vue has a very similar system. Its syntax is different, but the implementation is different, but the idea is the same. It's you have discrete components that understand what they need to do, how they need to look, and everything is very modular. Mm -hmm. So if I need to remove those systems, it's very easy to remove them. Our current code is from a very different time when everything was tangled together. There's no no separation of logic and no separation of, of the way that it works. Mm -hmm. So if you keep that in mind, then it becomes a lot easier to maintain. Mm -hmm. We've learned something over the last 10 years. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> if you learn from it, then it's, it's yeah, good, right? Yeah, it's always good, right? <laughs> Unless you're not doing the same mistakes over and over, so that's good. <laughs> we do those too, but... So going back to your self-taught uh, history, yeah. <laughs> what do, do you remember what was the most exciting thing that you learned? And what was more painful, I don't know, harder. or harder? Hmm, that's a hard question. The most <laughs> exciting thing that I learned. The first JavaScript I wrote was very exciting, and that was vanilla JavaScript. In 2004, I wrote an image gallery based on uh, um, a list apart tutorial. Have you ever read a list apart? I don't think so. I did. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it was one of the very early blogs. Um, I think. Jeffrey Zeldman founded it. There's a conference apart now, which is, <laughs> and he was Jeffrey Zeldman was one of the first people to advocate CSS because CSS wasn't always the way that you designed websites. Long ago, there was an abomination known as tables. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I started learning, I had the good fortune to miss tables, mm. and everyone thought I was crazy for using this newfangled CSS. It wouldn't catch on. They told me. And JavaScript was the same thing. No one, no one thought it would stay around. Mm -hmm. Microsoft tried to ensure that all the bugs were recorded as part of the spec. So, 
Microsoft is now the greatest champion of JavaScript, <laughs> so things change, right? Um, but yeah, that was probably the most exciting thing mm -hmm. that I learned. The hardest thing I've probably learned is Rust. Mm. I don't understand Rust yet. <laughs> <laughs> but why are you learning it? Rust is cool. I like Rust. Um, I've been learning TypeScript for the last two years. And I like TypeScript a lot. But unfortunately, TypeScript is not JavaScript. So it's not part of the language. And the biggest problems with TypeScript have been that it's sort of bolted on on top of it. And sometimes it's bolted on correctly, and sometimes it gets bolted on with the threads misthreaded, and things aren't quite right, and they don't fit as w well as they should. And Rust has a lot of the same experience from a developer. The, the compiler is very good. It's very strict. It's kind of mean. <laughs> um, the rules are very strict. And it's nice. It's good. It's, it's good to, to learn in such a strict environment and understand how things work. Um, it is a very low-level language, however. Mm. But the main reason I'm learning Rust is because of WebAssembly, because I believe that WebAssembly will become very important in the next few years. Um, it may, may or may not, but it's, <laughs> it's certainly good to be prepared. <laughs> Have you tried Elm? Yes. What do you think about it? Fabulous error handling, really weird syntax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just love the error messages. The error so messages, the best error messages ever. And the Rust team um, is looking to Elm for their error message handling. So they're, uh, it's one thing I like about Rust is they've sort of picked and chosen the best things. Like Cargo is like NPM, except it's really great. <laughs> and the error handling is taken from Elm, which is definitely the best error handling I've ever seen. The compiler is called Clippy, which is just funny. <laughs> And it's just a good experience to write in, mm -hmm. in Rust. <laughs> cool. Uh, so I have one question about how do you manage to do those side projects and have those hours for studying while having a full-time job? I don't have any kids, <laughs> and my wife is also in tech. Mm. Oh, okay. So I cheat. <laughs> That, so that's that helps a lot, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because um, I have I was working remotely, so right now I'm working full time, and it's becoming quite hard to find the time to do stuff. But yeah, that makes sense. I also don't have kids. He's also from tech, but even that is not working. I used to commute as well, mm. and that was really great. That was the time I used when I sat on the train. Mm. And I commuted in Switzerland, so the trains were very nice. I could always get a seat. Made it very much easier. <laughs> um, yeah, it does take a lot of time, though. That's the biggest problem. And sometimes I just have to force myself to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've always had the ability to, to find time to do that, and not everyone has that. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is really hard to find it sometimes. And I just like to learn new things, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you build your projects in the morning, in the evening, during the weekends? In the morning, actually. Oh, that's uh, yeah. another good idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm always late to work, 
usually because I'm coding. <laughs> I don't tell my <laughs> colleagues that. Yeah. You should be coding <laughs> here, not on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's for work too. Who knows? But um, I like actually getting up and coding first thing, mm -hmm. just for an hour or two. And mm -hmm. I'm not someone who codes really late. If I code too late, I have nightmares about JavaScript, <laughs> and JavaScript nightmares are terrible. <laughs> Should never have those. Undefining object. Exactly. Dreams. <laughs> it's an error you can never solve. When I'm doing my my own projects, usually I try to do it in the morning because I feel so much more productive. Like my head is clear. Mm -hmm. So if I code for like two hours early in the morning, uh, I'm probably more productive than if I try to code the whole day in the evening. Like. Yeah. yeah, me too. And I used to, when I commuted, that was my time for coding in the morning. And then I would pass out on the way on home in the train because I had to catch the 7 o'clock train and I wouldn't get home until 8 o'clock at night. So by the time I got home, I was quite tired. But my time in the morning was always nice to code and I was always very productive. I could get a huge amount done. That's where I learned a lot. That's why I always try to push the meetings to the afternoon so I can get some work done in the, in the morning. That's hard. Yeah. And so, how did you, how did you get a tech lead job? How was, how did that work? When we were acquired as our startup, uh, I worked for a small startup here in Vancouver, and then a company in LA acquired us, and didn't have a very strong tech team. So one of the reasons they acquired us was for the tech team. The product was also interesting, but it was I think mainly for the tech team, and. We started there, mentor or not mentoring, but helping the the other developers first learn testing practices. Mm -hmm. So I've always been very um, convinced that testing has always helped my own code. If if I write a test, I know that my code is better for it. It's not about writing the test; it's about the process of of using the test to create better code and understand how the code works in a in a deeper fashion. Mm -hmm. And in front-end technology, this is not very common. It's gotten a lot more common lately, but certainly five years ago when this was, when we were acquired, this wasn't, wasn't the way that most people worked. And in fact, the code that they had written there was not exactly untestable, but very difficult to test. Mm. And so we brought this idea, and um, eventually I was promoted to be a principal engineer, which is my, my primary task there was teaching other people how to test and how to, to structure their code and architect things better. So I didn't ever heard of the, the title principal engineer until I became one. <laughs> so that was sort of strange. But um, eventually we, uh, we expanded the team with three or four more people who were advanced programmers but hadn't ever experienced JavaScript ES6 or React. And they were primarily J J jQuery programmers and had done some Ruby. Mm -hmm. So I, I helped them learn React in ES6. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of them texted me today that he uh, he just launched his first app solo as a tech lead himself. So that was a great success that mm -hmm. one of the people I mentored has become a tech lead now and nice. just launched a big app used by 3,000 restaurants. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was very excited about that. And that was my beginning is that now at Unbounce, um, 
I'm the most senior front-end developer there, so mm. I have to help everyone. Mm -hmm. And we have a very smart team, but not all of them are very experienced. Mm. Some of them are very young. An intern, two interns now, two people just out of boot camp, and then people with two or three years of experience. And so it's really great to, to work with a team that's eager mm -hmm. to learn new things. And mm -hmm. yeah. We have a lot of different problems. We have two very diverse teams that work on the front end. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that's good. Because I feel that when you when you get to work in places like this, especially if it's your first years mm -hmm. in the career, and you have the opportunity to work with people that think like that, eventually those people will continue doing that and you know, in if they change their work they will do that there as well so it's kind of um, it's kind of a practice that in the long term will benefit the whole community right yeah so the biggest reward for me is like I said three of the people I've mm -hmm. helped mentor have all become tech leads mm -hmm. so it's always nice to hear their stories and they still text me and ask me questions and, <laughs> and it's nice to hear that they are still in, in contact and still <laughs> building really cool things. Mm -hmm. Nice. So yeah, I think it's benefited. Like, taking the time to teach them all has benefited everyone. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And what kind of questions they ask you now? Well, they always ask hard questions. <laughs> so last week, we we're trying to use GraphQL. We've made one project in GraphQL. Unfortunately, the tech lead that insisted that we had to use GraphQL over everyone's objections <laughs> has quit. So mm -hmm. they asked me to help them start the best practices in GraphQL. I've never used GraphQL. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a very interesting experience. Um, I still understood enough about the architecture to help them. Mm -hmm. So it's not always about knowing more than each of the of the other developers, it's about knowing how to ask the right questions and lead them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I usually know less than they do these days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's good that you acknowledge that, that you say, I'm a tech lead, I'm a principal engineer, but I don't know more than you guys. I just know I just know how to ask the right questions and get to the answer I need, which is like a very important, uh, it's a very important attitude because like there's no way to know everything, you know? No. You're always I mean, learning. So. And I mean, I've, I spend every day learning. It's the only way to keep up in this. I've had to reinvent the way I write JavaScript or just web applications at least three or four times in my mm -hmm. career. and. I'm on my second or third career, depending on how you measure it. Mm -hmm. So I assume that I'll have to change one more time. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully no more than that, <laughs> but we don't, I don't know. But yeah, and I think another important thing is that I've just failed more often than they have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which and is important. Yeah, and I, I try to learn those lessons from how I failed mm -hmm. and keep them from failing, or at least let them fail gracefully. Mm -hmm. They have to fail themselves too, <laughs> or they won't learn the lessons. But Hopefully it won't hurt too much. For me, it's good to see people that proudly say that they mentor and that they like it. Because um, for me, it's part of becoming a more senior developer. 
that is the difference for me. Yeah, for me, that's um, that is the defining characteristic of a senior developer that you can mentor people and that you can help them learn mm -hmm. because it's sort of like the give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day and teach a man to fish and he'll eat for life. It's That's sort of the important part. Mm -hmm. I try not to solve people's problems, but rather unblock them, mm -hmm. keep them from banging their head against the wall. We have a new contractor who's straight out of boot camp. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because he's a contractor, we can't give him as much support as we normally do. Mm -hmm. But um, he has a rule, 20 minutes. If he can't solve it in 20 minutes, he's not mm -hmm. supposed to ask. Mm -hmm. Just keep trying. He's supposed to ask. He waits an hour, usually, because <laughs> he's proud. But um, I do that. <laughs> and that is something that I'm. sometimes I still do, but I'm becoming more aware that, well, I need to ask for help. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> hard to ask for help yeah, sometimes. That is true. You have to admit that you don't know what to do or mm -hmm. that it's confusing. And... Sometimes it's really good for him. He, he walks over and asks, and I say, I don't know what this is doing. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> or I don't know what it should do. That's mm -hmm. the hardest question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that I've, I, I'm thinking about it since now, I have less than two years experience, mm -hmm. but it's something that I, I try to keep in mind is that I want to mentor and be a good mentor in the next years but I don't know what I can do now to help me prepare for that you know hmm. what I mean like hmm. how, how can you become a senior with that mindset of I want to be a great mentor one of the things that we're doing is um, our interns are responsible for onboarding the, the last interns who've been taken over and are now junior developers mm -hmm. are responsible for onboarding the next interns. Mm -hmm. So they're mentoring already very, very early in their careers. Mm. So any chance you get to help someone out? I'm a huge fan of pair programming. Pair mm -hmm. programming is mentoring just by itself. Yeah. Every time I pair program with anyone, I always learn something. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter how inexperienced they are. They always know something that I don't know. Mm -hmm. and I know something that they don't know and together we know that we each know that <laughs> it's great so yeah pair programming is a great mm -hmm. place to start and I walked into one of our teams the other day and there were eight people all pair programming mm -hmm. was a team that's relatively new and very very different people it's had a bit of a challenge for me and I was that was the best thing I've seen in the, the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. it was great yeah that must be great, yes. I learned a lot from pair programming as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of pair programming, and I also started doing something called mob programming. Have you heard about that? I haven't, but I can imagine what that might be. So it's one, one person drives, and then you have maybe eight people watching the screen, ah. and then you kind of switch. It's we kind of a coding code dojo. dojo yeah. yeah. I've done this once in Zurich, and that was a really crazy experience. <laughs> yeah. Each person has a certain amount of time to write. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we had, I think the way we did it was one person drove, one person directed. Like a co-pilot. Yeah. yeah. And then the person who was directing had to drive, and the next person from the audience yes. came. Yes. I should do this again. This is really <laughs> great. I've completely forgotten about that. You work <laughs> so well. Yeah. It's so cool. 
-hmm. It's kind of crazy experience, but yeah, you end up leveraging the knowledge of everyone. Yeah, because you have to pay attention because you're going to drive very soon. Yeah, you're going to be up there soon. And, and you yeah. also want to help. So, like, it's a very interesting uh, practice. But, like, mo mob programming can be, I know about this a lot, so I sh I'll show you guys how to solve it so everybody can learn. Like, mm -hmm. if you need to onboard people, like, solve a really complicated thing, maybe people can help you, but it's a, it's a cool practice. Have you used this in productions or for, for code actually? Yeah, so okay. at my company we did, we had a, a bunch of uh, very junior developers mm -hmm. and they wanted to know a little more about the code and the project. And so we did a little mob programming and they were like so f fixated on the it's screen. It's a really good idea actually, yeah. We have, we have a, a very diverse team across several different projects and we're trying to unify how everything works. This might be a really good way to try that. So. Yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us later how we go, how we I do will. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, I really want to start doing coding dojos here in Vancouver, because in São Paulo, it was kind of a common practice. Like you could always go to a dojo every week if you wanted. Oh wow! But here, I, I don't know if I've never heard of one here. Mm -hmm. um, I did it in Zurich. W they weren't very common, but there were a couple places that did it, and it was regular. We did a. So two of the places I worked in Zurich both hosted them. Yeah. Hmm. So we're gonna start doing that here. Yeah. Yeah, we we're planning to. Um and let me know if you need a space. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you introduced React to a uh, an ongoing project and you started doing I don't know, pair programming or whatever. So my question is how do you introduce this new techniques and practices like good practices to establish a team because sometimes people are a little resistant yeah that know? is a really hard question actually and i'm not really sure how i can answer that <laughs> um i guess i'm just very stubborn <laughs> i don't you need to be <laughs> yeah i don't take no for an answer sometimes when i introduce testing where i currently work we have job we have typescript and um at first i didn't like typescript at all and one of the reasons I didn't like TypeScript is a lot of developers thought that we didn't need to test as a result. Mm. That if they have TypeScript, that was enough. And uh, it's definitely not. <laughs> 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 and so there was a lot of resistance there. So that it was very hard to overcome that resistance. Um, I think it was just continuing to show the right way to do things, what I thought was the right way to do things, and it turned out to be definitely the right way to do things, and it's been, be it's become the established way we do things, but it was a long, very quiet, the first confrontations were very loud and people didn't agree, and, mm -hmm. and I just kept trying, and then they became less loud, and eventually people realized that that might be kind of something kind of nice. Um, showing a good example is also a good way to do it. Like developers are lazy and this is a good thing like they should be I want developers to be lazy don't do things the hard way <laughs> so if you show them an easier way they have a tendency to just silently mm -hmm. start doing it that way <laughs> most of us are pretty smart and uh, recognize a good thing when we see it so you just have to like st start doing it as an example and then eventually people will start Maybe copying. Get a few allies, maybe. And yeah. people do copy it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess be very careful when you write something as a senior developer because everyone will copy it. So be sure that what you write is something you want to be copied. <laughs> this is actually really important. Yeah, it's it very true. Yeah. It will be copied. And that's the way people learn. That's the way I learned. Like I copied yeah. code, I read the code, read it again, read it, tried to make a change, made it work, realized what it was doing, and then... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's when you're doing a tutorial, tutorial, that's essentially what you're doing. So, right. It's always nice to see that first change actually work. Going back a little bit to your self taught trajectory, did you ever feel like you knew less or you were less? I don't know if valuable is the most appropriate word here because you didn't went to a computer science college or something Every day. like this? Every day, even now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Imposter syndrome? Yeah. Yeah, it's, that, that actually is really hard to fight. Um, I'm lucky that my team has a lot of people that are mixed, both computer science and not. Mm -hmm. We actually have three people with fine art degrees, like myself, mm -hmm. which is actually a really good thing for front-end developers. I think um, mm -hmm. the designers love us. We actually care if it's three pixels off. It's <laughs> the wrong shade of pink. And um, but it's been really hard for me to learn the the algorithmic thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I've used a lot of private projects. And as a developer, you're tested on algorithmic thinking when you get hired, but you don't get a lot of chances to use it. But when you do, you need it. It's very important. Mm -hmm. So it's something to actually practice. And so I actually, there's a concept called targeted practice where you, mm -hmm. you choose very specifically what you want to work on. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of that over the years, learning the algorithmic thinking. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I still feel the imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm not the only one. No. Yeah. Okay. It's also a good way to be more confident. So you have some projects to work on, so you can learn some algorithms and then a few more more confident and you can s and you can say oh so I know how to invert a binary tree you know <laughs> yeah I actually once had an interview question where I had to invert a binary tree and we did it on a whiteboard and they didn't mention what it was and I didn't realize until later on that I was inverting a binary tree <laughs> I had no idea I managed it I didn't manage it very well and I didn't get the job but um, it's uh, it's a challenging thing sometimes. If you don't practice these things and the first time you do it is at an interview, it, it can mm -hmm. be very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you think about these types of tests? Like you have to invert a binary tree. I think they're terrible. They're terrible, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we like much more practical tests. I like tests that illustrate some problem that you actually had in the code. There can be algorithmic tests that illustrate those problems. I've seen tests that format telephone numbers, something most people in front end have to do. Like, mm. how do you make sure that the parentheses and the dashes are correct? Mm -hmm. This is a very challenging problem, but it is a real problem that you face. Mm. Um, I think tests like that are much better. Mm -hmm. you, you get the same concepts, you get recursive behavior and you get regexes and you get array handling with all of these things, but mm -hmm. in a much more realistic environment. Yeah. yeah. That's very true. But companies companies still insist on doing these types of tests and I, I don't really understand why why do they need to do that? Maybe they want to find the 
perfect uh, i don't know like it's i don't know what why i think it's a little bit when i lived in germany um we had the apprentice system and one of the things that you did to apprentices as you worked regardless of what they were was punish them you just punish them because when you were an apprentice you were punished and so I think part of that is the, the <laughs> same thing. When when I was hired, I had to do this horrible test, so you should have to do this horrible test as well. <laughs> I think also um, people don't take you seriously as a company and, and if you don't have a hard enough interview process. Mm. So but I think there's ways to make a hard interview process that is more relevant. Because you can always have a hard interview that doesn't involve any coding at all or no. algorithms, you know? I'm a huge fan of behavioral questions, if you know what that is, mm -hmm. where tell me a, about a time when <laughs> you had to do something really hard. And I actually like whiteboarding as a, a question for interviews, but not whiteboarding about abstract problems, but rather whiteboarding about something you've actually done, mm -hmm. something you've actually built, mm -hmm. a problem you solved. And you also learn if the person is able to explain Yes. The problem, you know, is able to express the idea and how the solution works. That's my favorite interview question right now. Mm -hmm. What is the most <laughs> complicated thing you've ever built? That's a good one. So, Keith, what is the most complicated thing <laughs> you've ever <laughs> built? <laughs> I haven't built it yet. I'm in the process. <laughs> Because your talk about the planetary system, mm -hmm. like, looked really complicated. It was really complicated, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things that I learned about uh, algorithmic thinking. Was mm -hmm. that was <laughs> yeah, one day I'll have to finish that. <laughs> <laughs> I try on a dojo classroom. Yeah, dojo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about the future of front-end development? Oh, that's a good question. Um, At the JavaScript conference, someone said he thought it would be WebAssembly. I'm not sure. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be... It feels like there's a pendulum that moves back and forth, and uh, the logic moves to the front end, and then the logic moves back to the back end. Or I think the pendulum is swinging back to the back end right now. People talk a lot about server-side rendering and reducing JavaScript and GraphQL, making the everything in the back end. Um, it feels like that is in the process. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's a certain richness that requires JavaScript. So mm -hmm. React has had a very, very good run for JavaScript framework. People still make the joke, it's Tuesday, so there's a new JavaScript framework out. <laughs> This joke doesn't make any sense anymore. There's really only three or four frameworks that matter at the moment. So Vue, React, Angular, maybe some other smaller ones. and. I'm not sure where it goes from here. Um, I wish that web components were a thing. I don't think they will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it takes a while to convince people, oh, you should use this, uh, this standard. So it's very hard to like make people agree on a standard. Mm -hmm. and so we have Google wants to do some one thing. Or Facebook. five or six things. Yeah, and Facebook wants another thing, so it's really hard to... Even HTML, like HTML5, like it's really hard to create a standard for everyone, right? It takes a long time. JavaScript's done a very good job of it, though, and uh, JavaScript didn't move for a very long time, so between three and five was almost 10 years. 
And but since they've gone to ES6, changed naming convention, created the staging system. That's created a nice evolution for JavaScript, and it changes quite rapidly now. And browsers adopt things other than some browsers. But the the primary browsers that everyone uses actually support a wide range of JavaScript, much wider than what we were compiling for. We're compiling for the very lowest browsers right now. And in some cases, you probably don't need to. So it's become much more interesting. WebAssembly provides an interesting idea as well that you can actually create binaries. So we'll see what the, the future holds there. <laughs> Did you ever feel the JavaScript fatigue? Yes, many <laughs> times. And now it's not. It's not JavaScript frameworks anymore, but it's just React, for instance, is a perfect example. I started using React in 2015, and the React that I wrote then is unrecognizable from the React that I write now. Hooks mm -hmm. came out less than a year ago, changed the way that React is written. Mm -hmm. It's completely different than it used to be. And this happens to React every six or eight months, and it happens very quickly. So. And I know that Vue and Angular are similar. I know Vue, the new version of Vue is completely different than the previous version. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it still changes <laughs> at a great pace, <laughs> even if the frameworks don't change, thankfully. Keith, that was a really good conversation. I hope it was as fun for you it as was. it was thank for Thank you very us. much. And so thank you for sharing thank all you. of that. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and if people want to reach out to you, can we provide your LinkedIn or something or your website? Please, I don't know. Yeah. no website, just LinkedIn. Okay, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a really cool uh, ex uh, conversation, also learning about your experience. So it was really cool. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. If you want to support us, you can go to our website at hexdevs.com and you can subscribe to our mailing list.